This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Hey there, Knicks fans. How are you doing? Uh, it's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another edition. First first edition in the while um, of the Knicks Film School podcast where, uh, well, I guess, no, we, we this is not the first edition that we won't be talking about actual basketball because there is still basketball left to be talked about, even though the Knicks are not playing basketball anymore. Uh, so it'll have a little bit of a different feel for the first time uh in uh oh well, i guess since like the leaves had started to turn here way back in autumn uh when we thought many things and then we experienced this season and now um now we have other things to think about uh but uh, before we get to all that let me introduce man i have not spoken to since the Knicks were still indeed playing basketball happy to get his thoughts today cuz uh I think we're going to be on the same page about this, but you never know. Jeremy Cohen. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, John. I'm good. You know, I have my life back. There's a there's an element. There's always a bright side to things at least most of the time. So it's nice to get back to not having to prioritize the Knicks on a, hey, are they going to be playing two weeks out? Can I make plans or not? So that's fine. But also, I really do miss Knicks basketball. I, I was enjoying the winning. It's not something I've seen a whole lot of in my time as a fan. So I was savoring <laughs> it and really appreciating it. But it just wasn't wasn't meant to be for a variety of reasons. We are now at a point where the Knicks are no longer playing basketball. And it's frustrating for sure. But there's a lot to be encouraged by. So I'd say... Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. But that also makes it feel like it was too fleeting. And it's not fleeting. This team's in the best position it's been in over two decades. So it's hard for me to be upset. But at the same time, I, I'm not over it. I'm not over it. I think I'm really... This is why I love you. You have a way with words. Um, I um, I think that's a the correct way to break it down. I am not upset um, about this season being over, and I would be lying if I too did not have a part of me that was like, okay, I'm, I'm. It's it's been you know, and I'll just be like upfront about it. It's this is not something I ever really experienced. Uh, before I started doing Knicks film school is like thoroughly as I do it, you know, where it's like, you're, I'm not a member of the media. You're not a member of the media. We do not purport ourselves to be members of the media. I hope nobody thinks that we purport ourselves to be members of the media, but like members of the media, you know, like especially ones that cover the NBA at large and they get to the end of the season. Um, and it's like, there is a, there is a, like a certain relief, right? And these are people who like 
they love what they do and they they wouldn't have another job in the world if they had a choice. Um, but it's tiring and it's exhausting. And I definitely have more understanding for where those people are coming from now that I am someone who, you know, will get on and talk about games for several hours after the game's over and then write about the game and then come on with you and talk about the game some more. You know, it does, it's, there is a certain level of exhaustion that sets in, especially when you play an additional month of basketball, which the Knicks did. And it's great because it's like, it's building up to something and there's that part of it is great. Um, but yeah, uh, there's definitely a, a, a part of me that's like, okay. Uh, appreciating the fact that like, I, I life changes now because the off season is here. Um, but all that being said, I'm not over it either. And I I think part of what has made the last uh what has it been now? When when did they that was Friday? What are we talking? We're talking on Monday. So what last three days? Last three days kind of you know, an interesting several days is and I tried to I tried my best to write about this for the newsletter today and I, I don't know if I succeeded, but like intellectually emotionally, mentally, all those things, um, we can, we can sit here and we will sit here today and maybe a little bit more beyond this episode and rightly praise this team for accomplishing something that I, for me, in my wildest dreams, don't think I ever thought was possible. Um, while at the same time being like, man, this could this didn't have to maybe end this way or there was another way that we we were not only hoping that it would end like you always hope it everybody always hopes it ends you know more further than it does but like really wondering like man a break this way a break that way and we'll we could talk about some of those things but like and that's the part where it's like you're not over it it's hard to get over yeah that's where i'm at it is but here's the flip side of that I was wondering this over the weekend. How many fan bases of the 30 fan bases that exist are happy with how this year will have turned out for their team? <laughs> I like, I like, a, yeah. Can we go through a count? Uh, yes. So it's the, at least in my head, this is where I'm at. It's the four conference finalists. So Denver, Los Angeles, Boston, Miami. It's the Sacramento Kings for making the playoffs for the first time since 2006. It's the Oklahoma City Thunder for having SGA break out in such a way that their timeline is accelerated a little bit more than they might have anticipated. But that's okay because they've got so much young talent and so much ammo that they're set up. It's the team that will win the draft lottery and then get Victor Wembanyama. So an entire season worth of losing would then be worth it on draft night. And it's the New York Knicks. It's seven. Seven teams. And I've looked at the other ones and I've thought eight. about what would you say is the eighth? No, I'm saying you, you said four conference. I'm just keeping track. Four no, conference finalists, sorry, the eight, Kings, yes. the Thunder. Right, the Kings. Seven teams plus the lottery team. I actually can. I So I'll push back a little bit. I think if the Celtics lose in this round, I think you take them off the list. Um, I will. I think depending on how one of the Western, if the if uh, the the loser of the Western Conference Finals, I think depending on how they lose, especially the case with Denver, I think you might be able to take them off the list. 
Sacramento, I agree with you, but man, game seven at home to go out like they did, like they're on the they're on the list, but I think they're at like the bottom of the list. Well, that was that was greatness just taking over. You have to tip your cap to one of the best ever to just taking over a game seven. That's fine. That's very fair. And I would actually add Indiana and Orlando to the list. Because I think both of those teams, even though they did not make the postseason or or even really sniff it at the end of the day, like they, for varying reasons, could like feel just like very good about what they have in place and like the pieces and like the whole like there's there was like good vibes emanating off of those respective losing seasons while also acknowledging that they were they were indeed losing seasons. But so like I think I'm around the same number as you. Maybe you throw the scoot team, whoever team gets a, gets a second pick. Or scoot's like kind of he would be like a number one pick in a lot of drafts too. But the numbers, it's it's certainly about a third of the league, give or take one or two teams. So like that's that's not a large list. It's a small list. It's not, and I don't know the last time we initially could have said that. Maybe you could have pointed to twenty twenty one. I mean, that was obviously a rough year personally for a lot of people. So is that team. Ascended in a way that felt great, but they went out so sad in the first round that it almost felt like, why is this happening? Why did this go through? And I can tell you that it's a fair thing to question that because on this very podcast, we have had conversations in the last six months about should the Knicks have made the playoffs that year? Would it have been better for them to have not made the playoffs and finished in the lottery? And if you are still questioning whether or not the decision, what they should have done is there. Then it goes to show it wasn't really a solidified decision. It, it's still up in the air. It's not certifiable that yes, this season was a success in a microcosm, you know, like in a vacuum, that season was success, but I still think there's push and pull in terms of you, where, where it should be among fans and how they remember it. And if that was the best for long-term future, if it wasn't and how we go from there, you know, what's interesting though about that season they, in retrospect, we were <laughs> we were dead wrong about this. But in the moment, uh, through the first, when was Kemba signed? Kemba was on like July 8th or something, July 7th, July 8th, whatever that rumor came out, whatever it was. Through the first week and a half or so of the offseason, we were both sitting here being like, wow, the Knicks really knocked it out of the park this offseason. They got like the sort of wing they needed to replace Reggie to like upgrade from Reggie Bullock and Evan Fournier. They brought everybody else back who they needed to bring back on like deals that we liked. And hey, we got ourselves our point guard. My point is not that we were all very stupid, although in r- retrospect, we, we maybe were. But even with those good feelings about their offseason, and even coming off of what was unequivocally a successful year, we were sitting here after, again, at the time, wrongly, but still extraordinarily excited over their offseason. And even so, it was like, okay, does that mean we're going to win a playoff series next year? Are we Are we definitely going to get like a top six seed next year? Like, well, yeah, we, we, we figured we would be in that four or five, six range. But like... Even after what was a great season and what we thought at the time was a perfect offseason, nobody was thinking that this team or the team then had vaulted themselves into like contender status or even like like even close to contender status. This team coming off of this year 
if we're sitting here a week and a half into July and we're like the Knicks had the perfect offseason, I could pretty much guarantee you we will not be questioning whether or not that they will be, you know, in contention to win a playoff series next year. I guess that's my point. It's a fair one. And it's, it's easy to forget how young this team is. Yes. So over the last six years, right? And the reason I picked six years is because I got lazy in terms of counting. And I didn't want to keep counting. Uh, it's a good reason. The, yeah, of course. It's just exhausting. Of the last six years, eight teams have made it to the final eight, which makes sense because that's the way that math works. That's 48 teams. And of those 48 teams, the Knicks, this year's Knicks, were 47th in terms of age. There's only one team that was younger. And it was last year's Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, that's and a good one. Yeah. Last year's Memphis Grizzlies, uh, good team, not great in the half court, a lot of work to do. It's a little difficult to keep improving when your best player has off the court incidents involving firearms consistently. The Knicks are a young team, but they are a team that also has its head on a lot straighter than the Grizzlies do. And it just goes to show. You know, like most of these teams, when I was looking at it, you know, it's like they're the maybe a collection of the top six oldest in the league, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's top eight at most. It goes to show that you hit your prime. You have all these players who need to be closer to their peak. And it goes to show that the Knicks did a phenomenal job, right, of getting there this year, but that they're also far away. And it's okay. It's all right that they're far away. But they can they can basically say, despite the fact that we are younger, we we are able to overcome this and work together as a team. The fact that we don't have a superstar, we're able to do a strength in numbers type situation. And it's really important to remember that because my biggest worry with next year, and this is what I kind of was getting at with the last round, was yeah, I, I want to win the against the Cavs. Of course I do. My concern is what happens when you win that series and then the next year the the expectations shift to well you won round one yeah you can't not win round one you have to keep moving forward as if even though that's not the way it works right we, like look at the year before this one it was terrible wound up with the 11th pick overall yep. most of the moves backfired didn't go well right and yet the Knicks found a way to get back on course. Now, is there a baseline to where I feel like the Knicks need to be? Yeah, 100%. Am I going to share that now? No, because I don't even know who's going to be on the roster next yeah. year. So we'll figure it out then. But and it's a sort of mindset yeah. where it doesn't have to be, you want a first-round series, now you have to win a second-round series, then you have to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and win the Eastern Conference Finals, then the champion. It, doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. And so this Knicks team had lightning in a bottle with the Josh Hart trade, uh, paid off incredibly well, not to say that they can't repeat that. I think they can repeat that quality and uh, they have players getting older and more mature and every year they're going to hopefully get better, but not every player is going to get better next year. Right? Obi had a really good second year. Third year wasn't great. It, it, it fluctuates with players. And so my main thing here is to love this season because it is not cause for the next one. It is not to insinuate, well, because they did well here, they're going to do well there, and that they have to do well there. Again, it's hard to put a ceiling. It's hard to put a floor on what that team will be, but we know what this team was. We know that this is a, a strong team that made it as far 
as the Carmelo Anthony Knicks did. Mm. They won their second series in 23 years. Just freaking wild. And it's incredible. And it was frustrating to me. I understand that fans are fans. Social media is social media. It's where fans are going to go. I oh. get all of that. But there was this vibe after game four where it's just like, okay, uh, there was sentiment of this season doesn't even feel like it was it was great because of where we're at right now. It, it just doesn't feel like I, I don't want to be here in the sense of look at look at what just happened. Right. Gave it away. And to that, I just say no. No, I, I can't think that way. I just can't because I had so much to cheer for for this team. And they're going to get better. May not be next year where it's automatic, but over the next few years, as they keep getting closer and closer to their prime, it's going to be a better squad. But we can still appreciate this year as a clear stepping stone after a misdirection, although the intentions were good. The Knicks didn't do a whole lot different. Um, I mean, yes, they ran it back, but it's not like it's not like they went from an elite player in the backcourt to Kemba Walker. Something went from an elite player in the backcourt to Evan Fournier. They weren't great players that they replaced. The problem is that, you know, Kemba's knees, Evan's defense, whole litany of other things we don't have to rehash, but it's just, you found a way to get around that. You course corrected. You got to keep course correcting. It's going to take time. It's going to take at least two to three years to get to that level where they are consistently good but there's the path there and and that's what's so important you hit on a lot of things first of all the, the memphis age thing is so funny because the <laughs> um memphis is also the only other team in the that time frame um to advance to the second round despite being a relatively poor shooting team the knicks and the the grizzlies basically rewrote the script on how you could have a a very good NBA offense. Um, and uh, it's funny. I was looking at it today. Uh, even in the postseason, the Knicks were two out of the three uh, things that they were very good at to become an NBA, uh, elite NBA offense in the regular season. They maintained offensive rebound and free throw rate. Um, they still couldn't shoot for shit. The big difference. And I think this, you could argue that this was the difference in the Miami series among other things uh, was the turnovers and they just could not take care of the ball at all in this mm-hmm. postseason, which was incredibly frustrating because uh, they were so good at that all season. Uh, that is, that is one thing. Um, something, something else that you just made me think of in, in terms of like the, you know, growth and it not, not always being linear. Like the most famous example I think of is the golden state warriors. Uh, and they announced themselves to the world in a significant degree when they beat um, the, what was it, the 50s? How many wins did that Nuggets team have? The non-Mellow Nuggets, the first, the first I think, non-Mellow Nuggets team. I think they won like 57 games. And the six-seeded Warriors upset them um, in Curry's first year in the playoffs and then fought the Spurs really hard. And, and everybody was like, oh, okay, the Warriors announced themselves. Well, next year they went out in seven games to uh, the Clippers in the midst of the whole Donald Sterling thing. And they're just like, I think they're the most famous example of like, you know, you, you don't always win the the same amount of rounds the following year, but like you could look at so many different teams, uh, you know, who have done that, including by the way, the nineties Knicks 
who that was not as linear as we like to make it out to be in retrospect. I think that the, those sorts of things where you make it a certain distance one year and then you don't make it back the next year as far oftentimes will have, and especially just because the NBA isn't as patient as it was. I mean, certainly not 30 years ago, but even maybe even more recently than that. Um, it, it often does bring about some sort of a change with the Warriors team. I just mentioned that it, it meant Mark Jackson going out and uh, a new coach coming in, you know, this coach will, I would, I, I would be shocked if anything happened with Tom Thibodeau before next season, never say never, but I, I don't think that's, that's going to be in the cards, but like, that's something that could happen down the line. If it, if they do not grow in a certain way, whatever the point is, you do feel like after this season that the bones are here to something very legitimate. And like, is it as simple as that Jalen Brunson is here? I don't know. Maybe. I, it, I think it feels like it's a little bit more than that, but that's certainly a big part of it. Um, I think it's the biggest part of it by far. I know, uh, you know, we were having a lot of conversations about Julius Randle two years ago that we don't frankly need to have about Jalen Brunson right now. We're having all kinds of different conversations about you, uh, about Jalen Brunson right now. Ironically, we're having many of the same conversations about Julius Randle, but we'll get, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, it, we are on the same page. Um, let's, we'll go through some of the specifics. You know, I, I actually do want to start off, um, with the personal injury report from, from our friends at Weiss and Roseboom, because I think it provides one important backdrop for this season. Uh, before we get to that, a reminder, if you, uh, or someone, you know, has been, uh, injured in a, a personal injury accident, don't forget, call Weiss and Roseboom today. Um, if Justin could get the the little thing up there with the phone number because I don't know the phone number by heart, even though I should. <laughs> there we go. Call Rice and Rose Boom today. 212-366-6100. Again, 212-366-6100. You could also visit them at weissandroseboom.com for more information. Uh, no case is too big or too small. Uh, if you think you might have a case, call for a free consultation. If they take your case, they don't get paid unless you do. Um, prior results don't guarantee future outcomes, but you know what to do. Go with a veteran, not a rookie. Um, speaking of veterans, uh, this personal injury report is going to kind of be a, a bigger picture because looking back, the Knicks really throughout the course of this playoff run were banged up. And it didn't hit me until Andrew, shout out to Andrew, he always does the, uh, the, the rundown. And he listed four things here. And I'm like, man, that's, that is a lot of things. So obviously Emmanuel quickly missed the last three games of the playoffs with a sprained ankle. Um, Julius Randle sprained his ankle twice in the last month of, or last, I guess, what, six weeks of the season because the end of the regular season and then during the playoffs, um, thanks to uh, Jared Allen. Only missed one game versus Miami and, and one half versus uh, versus Cleveland. Excuse me. Um, Mitchell Robinson with some kind of a hip injury that he suffered early on in the Miami series. He didn't look the same. And then Jalen Brunson, the guy that uh, we've been praising and we're going to continue to praise. Uh, he allegedly was playing very hurt. And Ian Begley reported over the course of the, the postseason that like there were Miami players that were very surprised. He even played in game two. Uh, and this is like, these are four of your top six Guys, four of your top seven guys. Yeah, no, four of your top six guys. These are four of your top six guys uh, that were hurt 
for this playoff run. And yes, the loss to Miami stings. And yes, I'm not over it. Yes, you're not over it. But like when you take a step back and you realize, and yes, it's the playoffs. Everybody's injured. Nobody's fully healthy. Miami was missing Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo. That matters. Jimmy Butler was hobbled. That matters. All of it matters. But like the Knicks, we know what they could do when they had their full team composed and healthy. This was not that team. And I do think it is deserving of mention at the very least. What's your takeaway from, from all that? Health was a huge factor and the lack of it exposed how important these players were when they were healthy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it is already not a great shooting team. And then when a lot of their shots are falling short because they're fatigued or they're tired because of the strain that's put on them, it's, it's hard not to notice it. And there's never going to be an off season where you're completely healthy or excuse me, a postseason where you're post-season healthy, health. but it's just, it's hard not to think about. Yeah. I mean, obviously Julius Randall is yet to prove himself in the playoffs and that's incredibly frustrating. How hurt is he? It's not an excuse. It's just a question of how hurt. What is do he? you wonder? Who do you wonder about the most out of the four? Well, I mean, quickly was, was out. So there's nothing to wonder about, but I guess, so I guess what I'm asking it's is between, Julius. Between Julius and Mitch, you worry, you wonder about Julius more. Okay. I do. Because also we saw how good Mitch was in the first round. And yes, he was hobbled in the second round. But, uh, you know, whether by sheer ability or sheer ability to get away with calls, a little bit of both, uh, Bam Adebayo did such a great job in a lot of the series that Mitch just had trouble. And I'm sure, you know, maybe if he were healthy, it would have been a factor too. I, I don't feel comfortable calling Bam a stretch five, like he stretches the floor enough to make you honest. But there are times where Mitch really can have difficulty with, you know, that Vucevic type, that Jokic type. It, that's not who with, Bam is. With but the it's guy just who could like, do stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah. And But Bam could do enough where a hobbled Mitch might be less able to pitch in and do the work. It, but it has to be Julius. I mean, we're talking about someone who was named third team all NBA was in every single game until ironically Bam Adebayo um, was right next to him when he was hurt. You know, yeah. we'll just leave it at that. And it's just, it's hard not to think about what that looks like. And with Brunson, it's, it's, you know, we knew he was hurt, but he was so good that it's just like, yeah, of course it's Jalen Brunson. And with Randall, it's like, come on, buddy, what are you doing? You're, I know you're hurt, but so is that guy and he's doing great. And it's just, as a fan, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, say, well, how come if Julius, how come if Jalen Brunson can yeah. play at an elite level and score 41 points in an elimination game? Where Julius, you, what are we talking about here? Where have you been for most of this series? Why did it take you so long, especially in game five, to turn it on? Why is it that yeah. the Knicks are in this position? And it's, it's, it's deeper than that. There's certainly more to it, but it's hard not to feel frustrated. And I, I thought that a lot of the takes I saw with Julius were overblown and completely warranted at the same time. And how does that happen? I don't know. You just have to experience it because I felt a lot of the frustration that fans felt. And I also felt that there were times where it was a little too much. It wasn't all him. There were other factors at play here we can talk about. But that's that's the challenging part where we have not had a healthy Julius Randle surrounded by elite talent like Jalen Brunson. We had Julius Randle healthy without a supporting cast. We had Julius Randle hurt with a supporting cast. We haven't had Julius 
healthy with a healthy supporting cast or a supporting cast in general. And that is something I'm very curious about in this offseason in terms of how the front office goes about this. And we'll have plenty of those discussions later on, but it's just he's 0 for 2 in terms of proving what he can do in the playoffs. And I understand that fans don't, many fans will not like to institute a three strike policy. Many of them would like a one strike you're out policy. It's, it's all about going from a to B, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge later. This may be a hot take. Uh, I think they would have won the series. I don't think they needed both of those guys to be, like the best or close to the best versions of themselves to win it. I think if only one of those guys was the best or very close to the best versions of themselves, I think they would have won it. And I think that includes Mitch. I think that's why I was asking you, Mitch or Julius, who do you wonder about more? And there is a part of me that wonders more about Mitch. And I am assuming he is hurt because that was a different guy that we watched between the first series and the second series. And I, I, if, if I think if we got first round Mitchell Robinson against the heat in the second round, I think the Knicks are, I we're recording this on Monday. I think the Knicks are, are at the very least are playing tonight and who knows, maybe they wouldn't have even needed to play tonight. I mean, I could go actually that far because I think Mitchell Robinson, when he's right, it makes that big of an impact. Um, as for Julius, I mean, let's get, you know, well, let's get into it because, you know, the other, the, the, we're, we're attempting to do a, a playoff recap here, which we've, which Andrew has entitled acknowledging the bad while celebrating the very good. Yes, we are celebrating the very good. Julius was not very good. Um, he was not good. He, he was bad. He had, so how many playoff halves did he play in total? He played, Four and a half. He played four and a half games in the Cleveland series, right? Mm-hmm. That sound right? Yeah, because he played in game one and he missed the f- second half of game five. Okay, and he missed game one against Miami, so he played in nine and a half, nine and a half games. Yeah, nine and a half games. Okay, how many of those halves was he good? He was he was good in the first half of game one against Cleveland. <laughs> I'll give him the nod for the first half of game five against Cleveland right before he got hat right before he got um, hurt. Mm-hmm. The first quarter wasn't great, but the, the he really got to go into the second quarter and that was big. So I'll give him the nod there and I'll give him, I guess I'll give him game two. I'll give him the two, the, the game that they game two. I thought he was pretty good in game two, right? Um, am I missing anything? Was he good for was Talking he good Cleveland in, or Miami? Miami I'm game saying now I'm on to Miami. He was good in game now, two. Okay. Game two versus Miami. Game was five, he, second half, he was fantastic. Game five, second half, he was fantastic. Okay. So I'd that's, say half of game, you know, first quarter of game five, he was not good. Well, but then the second yeah, second, second half he started to turn around. It, it started to turn around the second quarter. I'm not giving him the first half. I'll give him the second half. So let's get let's give him one, two, uh, both halves of game two, and then uh, the one half. So two and a half out of nine, two and a half games out of nine total games, or nine and a half total games. Right? He was good. That's not great. That's 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 not what you want. Um, I mean, 
I, and, and the, the part with the injury and not knowing that's the part that's the toughest part. It's the not, the not knowing we could sit here and we could pontificate about, okay, was it his performance? 90% due to the fact that he was hurt. Was it 50% due to the fact that he was hurt? Was it 10%? We don't know. We can sit here and we can talk to her blue in the face. We don't have any freaking idea. I, I would imagine the Knicks have a better idea or think they have a better idea, but I don't know. I But either way, I think it is the, the Julius question. I think it is the question that lords over this offseason because, and this is the other difference, right? Between... And correct me if I'm wrong, you may feel differently about this, but from my vantage point two years ago, part of the reason it was like, well, yeah, we know Julius just had a terrible playoff series against Atlanta, but like realistically, no team in the position the Knicks are in are going to trade this guy. It was him. He was the son. Everything else orbited around him. You're not going to trade him unless you can upgrade to a a better player. And that was not on the table. So it was like, okay. He's back for another year. Then after last season, obviously we talked about trading Julius after last season, but his value was so low and there was the the, uh, the notion that turned out to be correct. Like, hey, let's get a point guard in here. Let's see if we can rehab his value. Guess what? It worked. So there was, I don't think there was ever really like a, a very real, I mean, maybe if they had gotten Donovan Mitchell, but like other than that, I don't think there was a realistic scenario that they would have traded him last season, last offseason. This offseason now where it's like, oh, wow, okay, we have another guy. It's very clear we have another guy. Imagine if we replaced the, the, you know, the, 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 the Julius role, like the second star role with someone who is a more proven commodity and more or legitimate, perhaps a legitimate playoff performer. Although with the names being tossed around right now, I'm not sure if that really applies, but like we get the point. It's at least seemingly on the table, which is what makes it a more interesting conversation for me now that we, we, we do not have to have that full conversation today. We will not have it today, but I do think it, it, it makes it more interesting than in off seasons past. That's all. The one thing with Julius is it matters to me, but I can tell you the whole, whole segment of Knicks fans, I'm sure if they found out what percentage Julius Randall was healthy, their reaction would be, and they wouldn't care. They would not care. Because he didn't get the job done, and that's what they would see. And I understand that point, that point of view. But, you know, it's like, as you were just talking about, last season, the biggest gripe was about Julius Randle. And it was, get Julius Randle off the team. But if Julius Randle's not going to be off the team, get someone who is a first option. Because Julius Randle's not a first option. This has always been, yes, the Knicks know Julius Randle's not a first option. They just have not had the ability to add someone ahead of him in the pecking order. And then they did. They added Jalen Brunson. And Jalen Brunson, in the regular season, was not necessarily that first option. But in the playoffs, he took over. became that first option. That was really important. So you go back to the Julius Randle discussion. It's okay, well, Julius Randle, second option in the regular season. Can he be a second option in the playoffs? And then there's the thought process of, okay, well, are the Knicks going to do one of two things? I guess one of three things. Number one is they keep Julius Randle in the exact role that he's in. Number two, that their third option, in this case, RJ Barrett, goes ahead and leapfrogs Julius as a second option. Or number three, that the Knicks look at RJ Barrett and they don't wish to proceed with him moving forward. And I don't have the answer for any of these things, but these are all on the table. 
moving Julius is on the table. We'll talk about it. But it's harder. It's harder to move him in my mind, not because of the fact that you can sell higher, but just purely based on the fact that it's it's really about what comes back. It's there. There has to be two parts to this. Someone has to. Someone has to want him, and so it's not only that someone has to want him. Someone has to be willing to give you commensurate value. And again, for anyone listening right now, you may not care about commensurate value. You may be willing to ship Julius Randall out for. We we don't start throwing our names, but like a package that would nominally be unworthy of a all NBA performer. I could promise you the Knicks are not chipping out Julius Randle for a package that on its face for an all NBA performer would not be what you would expect. They're not doing that in no way, shape or form. We went through an entire off season where people were comfortable giving up a protected first to move off of Julius Randle. Me being one of them. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to go back to something quickly because I, I hear what you're saying in terms of the health factor where if these players were healthy, then you feel that they would be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I get that. Well, I respect that. Well, yeah. well, you're saying that they'd be playing Possibly. at least tonight. I, I, okay. I feel confident in it, but you never know. They'd make it to a game seven at the worst. That would be the furthest they had made it since what? 1999? 2000? Uh, right? 2000. 2000. They made it to right. game seven of, uh, well, they made it to uh, the Conference Finals in game in 2000. Yeah. So I don't know if this was intentional or not. But assuming health and their performance to at least make it to a game seven, it masks the coaching deficiency that occurred earlier in this series. Sure. Yeah. And we're, I, that's, and, that was going to be my next point. Cause I think if I figured that that conversation has to come right on the heels of the Julius conversation, but it's part of the conversation. Like, and it has to be, I, you know, to like again, it's it, you take the go with the bad. Julius Randle, All NBA season, redeemed. He, he rehabbed his value a lot. One fewer year on his contract. All good things. Left a sour taste in people's mouths. Tom Thibodeau coached a hell of a year. Absolutely outcoached JV Bickerstaff in the playoffs. Um, he was outcoached by Spo. He tried some things. They didn't work. Game six, you could point to things that he did that potentially you could argue that they lost that Thibodeau's decisions lost them the game. The decision to go without Brunson or 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 Randall in game six, like they lost the game by four points and they were outscored by seven points in that two minute and eight second or seven second second stretch. Like these are facts. Um I I think the the I, I I'm curious what you think because everybody knows my thoughts about Thibodeau and, and quite frankly I don't think anybody wants to hear my thoughts about Thibodeau any, anymore, but to me the conversation there's different conversations about it it's and but it's similar to the Randall conversation in this way. If you may be someone that is convinced, totally convinced that no team that has Julius Randall on it is ever going to win a blessed thing in the NBA. Okay, that's fine. Even so. Even Leon Rose could be convinced of the same thing. I don't think he is, but he could be convinced of the same thing. You're still not going to trade Julius Randle unless you get back what you feel is a good, fair value. I think the same kind of concept applies to Tom Thibodeau, where there are a lot of fans out there or some fans out there. I shouldn't say a lot. I think there are a lot of a decent number of fans out there who feel like this guy is not going to be the coach that is going to lead us to a championship. Why are we going to keep him employed? for any for a, a single second longer and if you feel that way I, I respect it it's fine i totally respect the the viewpoint i would say though much like the julius thing even though you're not trading a head coach for another head coach 
NBA coaches have life cycles. You know when one has reached the end. Sometimes they are fired before it feels like you've reached the end. But like there is a time to fire a head coach. And I think it is it is worthy of criticism, Tibzo's performance. But I think there is a it, there is such a thing as identifying that a coach was out coaching a series, didn't have a great series. Maybe he does have some deficiencies that could potentially prevent him from ever being a coach of an NBA champion. I don't agree with those that going that far, but whatever. And still saying it's not the time to, to get rid of this coach. And he is the right coach for the job for at least another whatever portion of next year. That's my viewpoint, but I'll, I'll, I'll toss it back to you because you may feel differently. Well, I say this as someone who's not Tibbs's biggest fan. It's so easy to call for a coach to be fired because the life cycle of those coaches often ends in a decision that's not made by them. It's not yeah. like most coaches quit. Most coaches at the end of their tenure with the team, they are fired. And it's easy to point to that and be like, you know, this is, this is the case. It actually, um, this was inspired David Perlmutter. He had a, a video about this. He tweeted about it. It's like, yeah, you're going to eventually be fired. See, I knew this was going to be the case all along. Yes, because that's just the nature of NBA coaching. It You often get fired as a coach. It's just the way it works. I don't see Tibbs as a future coach with this, you know, when the, and the Knicks are eventually at the point where they're in contention, serious contention. I also do understand firing him after you've won your first series in since what, 2013, your second series in the last 23 years, it's hard to get around that and to fire him based on that. With that said, I don't, and I'm, I'm trying not to be, trying to exaggerate here, John, I don't know if I can ever actually forgive Tibbs for this series. I'm really mad. Yeah, I think a lot of people are joining you. And it's this, it's this sort of thing where it just felt like he was trying to 4D chess this by going with Hart because Hart was his guy over the lineup that got him there. For sure. And you could tell me that, what, 105 possessions that that beginning of the second quarter unit played in the regular season, regular season, and how it was in the 100th or so percentile uh, in terms of how good it was. It was a regular season lineup that was thrown into the playoffs. We saw a preview of it with IQ a couple games earlier. It didn't work. And it just felt like, why on earth is there a single minute where Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, or Julius Randle isn't on the floor? You're comfortable playing Julius, excuse me, Jalen Brunson and Quentin Grimes for 48 minutes each the game before. But now, with your back against the wall on the road, you're comfortable taking both of them out and Julius Randle, as difficult as he might be in that moment. Yep. I just thought it was inexcusable. And it's even if you feel like, well, because that worked, maybe he gave it a chance. It's fine. It's it was the stuff that came beforehand, the grimes or lack thereof that put the Knicks in a hole that they just couldn't seem to get out of. And again, loved what he did with the Cavs series. Thought he did a really phenomenal job overall. This stings because it just even if you look at the heat and even if you say they have better talent, they have older talent, they have talent that has been there before all of those things are valid. I walk away feeling like there's still meat that was on the bone and the Knicks didn't do an adequate enough job of getting 
those last bits and morsels in a game yeah. where everything matters to the point where they gave up that lead and Miami never really looked back and they held them within at least one point, pretty much the entire way. And yes, we could point to the fact that there were missed calls and missed free throws and oh. ridiculous lane violations and all these things that happen. But when you're in the bonus with nine minutes to go and you cut it that close and you can't get the job done when Jalen Brunson gets punched in the face by Gabe Vincent and you're able to make it that close. And yep. I will say if there was anyone to have made that pass at the end, I'm glad it was Jalen Brunson because anyone else makes oh, that yeah. pass no, and too. it's a turnover. They, we, we even, it's murder. Like, right. Like they're, they're, it's character assassination and understandable, but with Jalen, it was at least you did so much that we get it. Mistakes happen. Anyone else, it would have just been a nightmare. So I, I totally hear it. I, I, I don't begrudge you for having that position. I don't begrudge anybody for having that position. Myself, when I think about why the Knicks lost this series moving forward and I look back on it, I'm going to think, um, one, they did not take care of the ball. Again, they finished this postseason with the second highest turnover rate in, in the NBA for the postseason. And I think that was a poise thing. Uh, and the fact that, again, as you pointed out, they're a very young team. And I think the fact that they had not been here showed in terms of just some uncharacteristic play in how they went about their business, which again, though, you could point to a direct correlation between the turnovers and um, the decision not to have Grimes, less spacing. Josh Hart, very turnover prone player. He had a, a lot of turnovers in the, in the postseason. That's very real. Uh, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to think about the missed shots. I'm going to think about the fact that the Knicks had, um, I think they were all open. Um, six, non Brunson three point attempts in that fourth quarter. And they missed all six. And there was only one player besides Jalen Brunson who made a shot in that fourth quarter of game six. And that was Josh Hart. And he only made it because they went and doubled Jalen Brunson and he passed off to a, a cutting Josh Hart. Um, and I'm going to think about the injuries um, and how those injuries might've impacted the ability of the Knicks to be the version of the Knicks that we New and and loved this year, and then I think fourth after that, I'm going to think about Tom Tom Thibodeau getting out coached by Spo. Um, the well, like those aren't, aren't three for me for whatever it's worth. Just where, with where I'm at, that's fine. Yeah, just because Giannis missed games. The yeah, heat, everybody gets heat, hurt. Yeah, you're right. It just it's a it's a nature of it, unfortunately. But, but I, I guess the reason I'm I'll at. think of the injuries is like. <laughs> No, the Knicks were not a house of cards this year. And I don't think the Knicks, it was smoke and mirrors because they overcame the loss of Brunson to win games. They overcame the loss of Randall to win games. They overcame the loss of Mitchell Robinson to win games. Um, they overcame very poor stretches of play and injuries from RJ Barrett to, to win games. Um, they overcame all of these things to win games. But I do think it was when you combine the injuries with the lack of having been there and the lack of postseason experience and the fact that they were a younger team and a lot of guys on this roster were clearly maybe not as ready for the moment as they will be, God willing, in a year or two years, three years. Um, I think when you combine those two things, that 
for me is why because of their youth and because of their inexperience, even with their talent, and I do think that they were the more talented team than Miami, even with that, I think you needed like the full regular version for the most part with maybe one exception or maybe at most two exceptions. I don't think they were able to sustain the injuries along with the fact that they were younger and, 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 but again, is there any question Tibbs was not coached? I'm not questioning that. You're not questioning that. I don't think anybody watched the series is questioning that. So like, that's a real thing. And the fact that there's nobody out there that could even argue that Thibodeau was a better coach than, than Spo in the series. That matters. The last thing I'll say is there was a lot of coaches who exited this postseason and in fact exited jobs with a lot of criticism about what they did in these very playoffs. So I don't know how many coaches have had good playoffs. It's uh, it's Darvin Ham. It's Mike Malone. It's Spo. It's three of the four standing. It's three of the four standing. Is it anybody and like Missoula based on making the Robert Williams and Derek White switch, which because it, it was daunting before then I was about was to say, close. was there any, was there, was there a coach getting more criticized in the play that was in the playoffs before he made that switch? So like, I don't even know if you could throw his, his name in there. Um, it hasn't been a good postseason for coaches. And obviously the fact that like a bunch of guys lost jobs, you know, I think that's relevant as well, but so like, that's, that's the only thing I always come back to when, when it comes down to coach criticism is you look around and it's like, well, how many good coaches are there? It's like either either everybody is bad or like 75 or 80 or 85% of these people are bad at their job or there was something intrinsic to the nature of coaching where it's just like, you know, the bad gets amplified so much more than the good. And I think the truth probably lies somewhere in between, but we don't, we don't have to bore people with that conversation anymore. Um, any, um, what else should we hit on with the playoff recap? Oh, I know what we should hit on. Unless maybe this is a good a good transition to game balls because there are um, there are two players that we have not really spoken about. Um, do you want to transition to game balls? We can transition to game balls. This might be sure. a good. Okay, let's do it. So you you get the first one. It's for the year, mind you. It's game balls for the year. It is for, for Andrew's, the year. Uh, he does say for the year. He said, but he also writes dealer's choice under that, which I guess means we could pick. We could pick anyone. I'm. I think I know which way you're going with this. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, which is fine because then I get to do what I feel like I need to do. Sure, I have to go with the person who, if I had to count, and I'm not going to go back and do it, but I can imagine received the most game balls for me this year. It was Jalen Brunson. It was the the engine for this squad, the player who was always going to be the guy to do this because he was that good in Dallas. And despite all of the concerns and the criticisms and the love for Manuel quickly, who still was phenomenal this year. That's not a mm-hmm. slight against IQ, by the way. Nope. Just Jalen Brunson happens to be a better basketball player. And that's okay because both play in the New York Knicks and I'm happy about that. But Jalen Brunson, this was always who he has been. And I'm glad he finally was able to show that in the playoffs for the Knicks, the fact that he's making less money next year than he will be this year, making less money the year after that. And then he'll get a nice fat contract. All of these factors and how he has transformed this team with his approach. I mean, you just, he is so built for the city and for this team. And to think that, 
it really just took moving a few players who two of them weren't in a roster, really. They were bought out uh, and some picks to get the job done. You make that trade 11 times out of 10. He's phenomenal. This, to me, he's always kind of been, this is someone who can be a star. But even I wouldn't have thought he's quite there yet. But he is. And the playoffs show he's gotten even further. And the even better part is he's turning 27 years old. There's still room for him to get even better. And if James Harden leaves the East, he is certifiably the best point guard. Whereas before, I think it was maybe up for a debate. Mm -hmm. But if James Harden goes to Houston, there is no debating it. I'm sorry, Tyrese Halliburton. That is it is not you. It is Jalen Brunson. He has done maybe maybe it could be you one day. You but it is not him. you. It is it's not you. <laughs> so I I can good conscience not pick Jalen Brunson. He is my favorite Nick. He is the best Nick. He is going to be, at least what I certainly hope, the reason why players look at this Knicks team, look at what's changed, look at what the foundation is and say, I want to go play with that guy because that guy is a winner. That guy is a certified bucket getter. That guy is going to make my life easy. And you think of all of the stars who over the years refused to come to New York because they didn't want to do the hard work, right? Mm Mello was one of the guys where it's, yes, he wants to be in New York. Love that. How many players want to say that? And he deserves credit for that. It was, he does. But the thing with Mello was, it was on Mello's terms. It was, I want to be in New York. But you have to trade for me. And with Jalen Brunson, it was not that. It was, no, I'm built for this. And I know I have the infrastructure here. And I know you're not going to trade me because I'm going to be really good. And I'm going to get better. And yeah, the, the poor three-point shooting, the pull-up three shooting, uh, I'm going to address that because I'm a really good pull-up shooter, especially from mid-range. And I can stretch the floor out a little bit. I just don't have enough good things to say about him. And it's a joy to know that I'm going to keep watching him on my basketball team. And I'm not kidding. There were moments where I watched Jalen Brunson and I thought, if this guy stays healthy, even, even if they don't win at all in my lifetime, in Jalen Brunson's career, whatever it might be, no one's wearing number 11 again. That's, that's what just needs to happen as long as he stays healthy, in my opinion. And that's a pretty awesome feeling to think that didn't have to draft that player. We don't have to love it because love him because he's homegrown. He's someone who came here, is here now, is going to be here, and is going to attract a hell of a good player, maybe even two down the line as the Knicks build around him correctly. So it's Jalen Brunson. You hit on all the points. Um, I, I'm not going to, I'll only add that, you know, we've, we have, been in the age of LeBron and Steph for so long. Um, LeBron winning four titles, possibly a fifth this year. Uh, Steph winning four titles. Um, Those guys have obviously combined for eight of the last uh, what? Eight of the last 12? Eight of the last 11? Something like that. Um, they've won most most of the championships. I mean, they have not left very much room for anybody else. Um, and the other people who have won it are like, you know, ungodly, like, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo is fairly good 
basketball player, um, like the Spurs ecosystem, like that was, that's kind of a once in a generation sort of thing. So like the conversation about, well, can you, can a guy like a Jalen Brunson be the best player on a championship team? I don't, that's not the conversation for me. The conversation for me that I'm, feel comfortable having after watching him this postseason is not whether he can be the quote unquote best player on a championship team, but I have literally no doubt in my mind that he could be the most important player on a championship team. And that may seem like a, a quibble of, or a, 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 you know, silly distinction or not a distinction at all or anything. I think it is. And like, I, you know, if and when the Knicks win the title, I don't think Jalen Brunson will be the leading scorer on that team. I think there will be somebody else like, and I don't think that player is here right now um, who will be like the horse, the guy that gets his points easier because you could say many things about Jalen Brunson. His points do not come easy. The man has to work <laughs> for every freaking <laughs> Every freaking buck that he gets um, because he just was not born with certain gifts. Now, he was born with several other gifts that I think people are, are finally coming to appreciate in just a skill level that is that is unmatched um, not to say nothing of his work ethic. But like he could be the leader of a team without question. And I do think he could be the heart and soul and like the pulse of a team that wins a title to say nothing of like, yeah, he, I think he could average over 20 on that team and, um, you know, be like maybe it's second leading score. But like, again, that part's so much less interesting to me than the fact that like, he is the guy, he's the guy. We all know he's the guy. We just witnessed the fact that he's the guy. Nobody has a question about the fact that he's the guy. And it's about like, okay, who wants to come, you know, ride side saddle, um, you know, and, and, and Yeah. And that's that's cool. That's cool to be able to have that conversation. So I'm happy you picked Jalen Brunson. My game ball. And yes, it is a year-long game ball. Even though this person did not have a very good year, in my estimation, um, I'm still giving it to R.J. Barrett. And I think it is only appropriate that I give my year-long game ball to R.J. Barrett because I don't think that there is a... I may be a Knicks fan out there, but like, I don't think there's a Knicks content creator out there who is harder on RJ than me during the year. And that is because I stopped believing, as I've said, I was out and I didn't think he had it in him to be a positive difference making player on a basketball team that had designs on winning like something real. Um, this postseason opened my eyes to him more than it is open my eyes on any player, not just the Knicks, just any player, any NBA player, period, in a very, very, very long time. We just witnessed over the, and I understand he had an awful, awful game six in Miami. I understand that. But we just witnessed over the last month, in, again, just my two cents, by far the best stretch of basketball of R.J. Barrett's career. And I, yes, I'm including the last, whatever, three and a half months of last season where he got a, you know, a, a massive usage rate and scored a lot of points. I don't care. I, I mean, it was cool at the time. I thought it was notable at the time. It didn't mean nothing. But what he did over the last month to me meant so much more 
um, you know, starting with game three against Cleveland and, and, you know, there was one blip on the radar against Miami before game six, but like for the most part, I think he put it all together in a way that we have not seen yet. Um, and I want to give my game ball to him because I think the Knicks now, again, I made the joke on Twitter. I, I called him, I called him matching salary and I meant it because I truly believed at the time that was what he was going to be in this summer, this off season. I think the Knicks have a really interesting conversation to have with themselves. Um, And I don't want to get into it now, but like not saying RJ Barrett's untradeable. Very few players in the NBA are untradeable, but man, this guy, I mean, how do you not come away impressed as an organization? If you're the Knicks about what this guy was able to do. So I'm going to raise my glass of what am I drinking here? Uh, Matrice Pinot Noir, Uh, a, a, a deep, dark red, that is is bold, just like RJ Barrett is bold. So I'm raising my glass to him for my game bowl for the year. Cheers to RJ. Well, I will not cheers him because I'm drinking water and that would be bad luck, but I'm using a uh, Knicks Film School RJ Barrett mug. There you go. So I, it was fantastic, the bulk of this postseason. You know, I mean, this is someone who struggled with efficiency and he's 55, 56% true shooting in the playoffs. Um, second only to wow. Mitchell Robinson. It's great. He was passing out of drives far more, which was a huge concern going into, I mean, forget about the playoffs going into the season. He was finishing better. He was making more plays. He was hustling more on defense. There was proof of concept with so much of what RJ Barrett was doing. And I'm really happy with what he has become. I, I say that earnestly. I'm, I'm thrilled with the fact that we were going from all these questions and everything about RJ Barrett to the point where we're even having conversations or the thought process of how can you move this guy? And like, I don't know what the future is going to hold with RJ and with this team, but what I can say is whether you are for RJ Barrett being here long-term or for someone else being in this place, these playoffs were crucial no matter what RJ Barrett is still on the Knicks until he's not. And until that happens, I'm going to assume, I'm going to refer him no matter what happens to him, but point being, him playing well is good for every single agenda you could possibly imagine. But most importantly, for the R.J. Barrett agenda, because he has shown proof of concept. Everything that his biggest fans were worried about, or, or not worried about, but were, were stressing is there, yeah. Yeah. was there, right? And so I think that's really important. It's just, uh, it's a question of, whether or not the front office feels that the, what was it? 11, 11 games they saw warrants how they operate in the off season. That's the biggest question that I have mm. for them. In the meantime, RJ Barrett brought it with the playoffs. Tough season. It's not always easy. He mattered when it mattered most. And that's, what's important. Kudos to him. Well said. I it, I don't know. This this analogy is probably very bad, but like Nick's going into this offseason. Feels like there's someone walking into a, a buffet. There are literally countless options. But you only have so much room in your stomach. And if you choose poorly, you will wind up being stuck with, with you know, maybe something on your plate where it's like, man, I wish I could go back and do that one over again. Um, you know, and 
I don't envy them for the decisions that they have upcoming. I don't think that they're easy decisions. I'll just say that. I don't think that they're easy decisions, but that's yeah. Anyway. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about Factor. During the spring season, you need wholesome, convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more active days and keep you on track for reaching your goals. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. Too busy to cook this May? With Factor, skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. Going off script for this next part because I personally can't say enough how clutch Factor has been over the last two weeks. I'm talking Jalen Brunson clutch. I'm talking Allen Houston with four seconds against the Miami Heat in 1999 clutch. Whether it's a huge playoff game followed by a late night post game, I barely have time to prep and cook anything. So, Every time a post game has ended, I grab a factor meal from the fridge, put it right in the microwave, and in two minutes, I've got my dinner ready to go. The future Mrs. Claudio loves factor as well. With her busy schedule with meetings and writing reports all day, being just two minutes away from a healthy, well-cooked, pre-prepared meal is so convenient. This May, get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and use code filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Again, that's code filmschool50 at factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and get 50% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good and that's why oakley is the perfect partner for us not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our oakley's and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today also did you know that oakley even offers prism lens technology now i know what you're thinking gmac what the hell is that Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. All right, we'll end with this. Uh, Andrew has an essay question here. Uh, it's a two-part essay question. How will you remember the 2022-23 Knicks season, and how do you think it should and potentially will be remembered? Um, I, I know how I hope it'll be remembered, and I, I think it potentially will be remembered, which is at, as the start, as the start of the next era of great Knicks basketball. Um, 
And I will remember it for, I, I think, if I'm going to be, if I like, I'm just thinking like if I'm telling someone 10 or 20 years from now about the 2022-23 Knicks, like the first words that are going to come out of my mouth is going to be like, oh yeah, that was Brunson's first season here. That's the first thing any, I think that's the first thing any of us are going to say. So if that's the descriptor, um, and then probably followed by like, oh yeah, it's it's after the summer that they didn't get Donovan Mitchell, but they got Jalen Brunson and that turned out to be all that mattered. And then, oh yeah, we beat Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs. Like that's how I'm going to describe it. And I think, I think Donovan, it's funny for as much as like, it, you know, it's old news now. I do think when I think about this season in, in 10 or 20 or 30 years, Donovan, the, the Donovan Mitchell part of it will be a, one of the first things that comes into my mind because it's so lorded over the three months that preceded the season. And then for it, the season to have also ended with a tie in with Mitchell with the Cavs series. I think that I don't know, maybe I, people might call me crazy, but I, that's going to be something that comes prominently to my mind as well. Thanks for a good story. Beginning, yeah. a middle yeah. and an end. This season, yes. When I think, when I reflect back on it, I'm sure I'll think about how was Jalen Brunson's first season. I'm going to think about after a miserable season and an even more chaotic and stressful offseason, the Knicks found themselves in a position where many doubted them. And there were so many moments where it felt like they were one loss away from the bottom falling out and and in chaos ensuing yep. the Denver game, or I guess the Utah game would be starter the Cavs game in December, yep. the Mavs game, the other Mavs game, so many different examples, uh, acquiring Josh Hart. It just, it felt more like shoots and ladders than it did monopoly or Candyland. It just, how many boring was, games were there? You could count them. I mean, the quote, the quote unquote boring game is you could count them on, I mean, two hands. Oh, oh, in terms of boring games. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, 100%. And yeah. how many fake comebacks were there? Patented Knicks comebacks. Not many. No. They, no. they were hanging around as best they could. Yeah. And, you know, yes, I will think of it as what feels like more of the start of something to kind of keep growing from there. And I think that's how it should be remembered. It should be remembered as uh, the first time that a lot of fans got to experience seeing their team win a, a series win. Or if it wasn't the first time, it was the other time was so long ago. And if it yeah. wasn't just those two times and congratulations, you're uh, yeah, you're, you're old, old enough me. to remember even older series. And that's pretty awesome. So it's, it's again, kind of like with what I was saying with RJ, it's proof of concept. It's believing in... It's not believing in a team. It's believing in an organization. And that's mm. everything. After so many years of heartache and mediocrity and dysfunction, every negative word you could probably use applies to the teams that we've seen before us. And so it's hard not to think about how much rosier things could be moving forward. And that's a pretty great feeling when so much of your happiness is out of your control and depends on uh, a bunch of people in a back room and 15 players who have an impact on your day-to-day -day life. Um, 
again, incredibly well said. It, this season was. I love the shoots and ladders. <laughs> That's funny. Did you play shoots and ladders as a kid? Oh yeah, sure. Um, my older daughter still plays. She's kind of aged out of shoots and ladders, but she still likes it a lot. Um, it's a fun game because it's. A, I mean, it's left to chance, but like, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's a game of chance. Um, yeah, no. That this was. This was absolutely a, a season of shoots and ladders, and like. The fact that like they did start 10 and 13, you know, that was a real thing. They started 10 and 13 and they ended up winning 47 games and it could have very easily been a few more if they needed more wins down the stretch. Although I guess thankful they didn't. Um, Yeah, it, it was crazy. There was so many ups and downs and it did. It also felt like, you know, we we arrived at this place and I think that's one of the defining themes of the season is like the Knicks are good, right? You know, hashtag the Knicks are good. Um, we arrived at this place where we, we did finally come to believe the Knicks are good. And like by the end of the season, I do think we internalized that, but that concept for me, at least even after they won eight straight games in December, that concept was always so tenuous um, because not long after the eight straight wins in December, Mitchell Robinson goes down with an injury and it's like, Oh my God, how could we win a game without Mitch? And then like moving forward, y- you, you get to this stretch where they have, you know, all of these incredibly tough games. Um, and then the Josh Hart trade happens and then they win nine straight. But even then you're, you're getting the sense that like, Oh, are we going to secure this playoff berth? Are we going to fall back? These teams are like right there. You, there was never a sense of comfort. Not once, I don't think, for any Knicks fan this season. Despite the fact that they went on to win 47 games in a playoff season, never was comfortable. It was always like, and I think that's part of why for me, yes, the Knicks are good, but this was not a season like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of like, just, you know, your normal, you know, top team where it's like, okay, we're going to be like, wake us when it's April. Like this was... (laughs) This season was a lot of things. Wake us when it's April was not one of them. And that is, I, as you nailed, that is, I think, the other main defining characteristic of it. Because, yeah, <laughs> made for some fun of, times. A lot of ping pong was a concern. We've moved from ping pong to shoots and ladders. And hopefully we'll move from shoots and ladders to something a little bit more exciting. Speaking of which, are you going to be, will you be on the edge of your seat for, uh, as people are listening to this tonight? At uh, what time is it? Eight o'clock. I won't be because I, you know, math. (laughs) (laughs) it's that, but it's also just, I expect them to wind up with a first round pick anyway. So it'd be nice if it were the Dallas pick and then their job is done. But if it isn't, it's not like that pick vanishes. It's still going to be there. So, but yes, it'd be very nice if, if karma is such a thing that in all those years, the Mavs, we're bumped down. It's a little sickening that I have to root for one of the four teams behind them in order to jump into the top four, uh, because that's Oklahoma City. It's always already good enough to acquire more. Assets. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So, who it's, are the four teams? OKC, Toronto, Toronto, which is a division rival, Chicago, it's Chicago, which is just all over the place. I'd probably be fine if they moved up, and then it's um, New Orleans. Oh I'd yeah, rather right. they didn't move up into a top four, but uh, so it's, but you know, the, I can live with it if it means that the 
Knicks get to pick 11th in the draft. That's okay by me. I'd, I'd be happy. It would, it would make it, it would ease, ease the, uh, as, as we described it, um, the ease, the unease uh, of the, of the ending of the season. Just um, Victor to Toronto. That's all I ask. I don't Victor scoot, not to Toronto, please. Okay. That's it. That's you want either of them in your division? Um, no, I actually haven't thought about like from a Knicks perspective, uh, I've said on the Patreon pod, the, the, the basketball situation that I feel like is probably, I feel like I, I kind of want for Victor Romiano the most, and it doesn't really make a ton of sense, but I don't know why. I just think this is Indiana. Um, I don't want Portland rewarded for their chicanery. <laughs> that would upset me. Um, and, uh, I also, but I also like to see him end up someplace in like a basketball shit show. Like, I don't know. That's like not good for the NBA, but I don't know if I care how much about, I care about that. Um, anyway. All right. Well, we did it again. Another season in the books. Um, any other thoughts? I mean, we're obviously we're going to keep coming on here and doing all the things that we do, but like any, any other thoughts for, for now before we kind of officially turn the page to the off season? Yeah, you know, I've got some things planned for the off season. Looking forward to them. It's uh, it, I'm not excited for this off season. You're not. I'm not. Really? I'm not. I'm not I, you, I don't know why I'm shocked. I I, I get that. I understand. What, I think I understand why. I think your buffet um, example was apt for sure. I think there are a lot of twists and turns the Knicks can make. And I don't think any of them are is going to resonate with the fans per se. Oh, there is not one single thing out there that will not have people absolutely some people losing their fucking minds in a very negative way. Even like yeah. if you were to make your big board of like your top 10 likeliest like big time things. <laughs> Number, the thing that would be most agreed upon is like, okay, this is the most preferable. Even that would have, will have people losing their shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to have to deal with all that. Oh yeah. Yep. I know. And I think that's the biggest thing where it's like, imagine, you don't have to imagine. Remember the reaction last year when the Knicks were in the midst of potentially getting Jalen Brunson and then getting Jalen Brunson. I, I do. And listen, it's, we all, we all make mistakes, right? If, if you're on the side of not wanting Jalen Brunson, obviously by now, you know, he was really good, but it just goes to show that there was still that time where knowing what you would know now, if you could go back in time and tell yourself about how good Jalen Brunson is, would past you have even believed you. And that is inherently the issue with the Knicks, where it's that if they don't get someone that is really elite, there's then the option of it's that or it's, run it back and it's the middle ground and there's a lot of middle ground there where I just don't think fans are really excited for and I get why they wouldn't be and I don't think it'll be fun I don't think it'll be enjoyable at all and also because I have been on many live streams where the Knicks have done things in real time where I've tried to explain them and people do not want to hear them and I understand why they don't want to hear them because they're angry but it's just uh, I'm excited because I I I feel like I get directionally where they're going and that's on me to now convey why and how and what and if and all those different things, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to the process of it because it's going to be really tough getting from where the Knicks are at to the ultimate point 
And it's very easy for fans to say, I want to be from where we're at now to the top, but not want to do the work in between. And that's where the tricky part's going to come in. But we're going to have fun doing the unfun it, stuff. It, that's it for sure. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I am excited, but I'm not excited, but I am excited. I, so we'll have a great time while having a terrible time while I have a great time. It's just... Just buckle up, everybody. It's my only, <laughs> my only word of advice for what lies ahead. Yeah. Uh, they will not be running it back. Oh, no, they will not be running it back. <laughs> never know. I should say, I never say never, but I get it's here's the main thing. Again, this is a fun year. There's a lot of work to be done. The Knicks are not in a position where they're good enough to do nothing other than maybe add draft talent. There's got to be more. It, which is not to say that there would not be wisdom to doing nothing over what they may do. I I I I don't want to be smirched the front office. I have actually, funny enough, I have an immense amount of faith in the front office coming at, or approaching this offseason. Um, it does not mean that whatever they do will necessarily be like the right will wind up being the right thing. But like, I I do have a lot of faith in them. But uh, and they yeah. they deserve it. They deserve yeah, to have our it. faith. They've they it. have. They've done enough where even if we are upset at anything, there's logic behind why they are doing it. Yep. And um, we'll be right here in real time and beforehand explaining why things went down the way that they went down or why they will go down the way they go or why they might. Yeah. And it it won't be as long of a wait as usual because usually we we have like two and a half months to fill and it's not quite that, um, not quite that long. So it'll, it'll be here before you know it. Okay. Um, We've been doing this uh, for long enough tonight. Uh, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, This was a fun year. Um, Happy to have you alongside as always. It's always a good time. And uh, I think uh, I speak for a lot of Nick fans when I say thank you for being here alongside me a long time, because it's uh, I am only one voice and God knows my voice is not representative of of everybody. So to have a counterbalance uh, is uh, necessary and, and just incredibly valuable. So, Thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, we're, we'll be back next week when we do all the normal things. But like uh, just on behalf of everybody here at Nick's Film School, thanks to everybody for watching and, and listening uh, throughout this uh, season. And we look forward to providing you with a whole host of offseason content. And yes, that offseason does start uh, tonight um, with the draft lottery. And uh, you I could promise you that if the Knicks, um, well, whether they move up or they don't move up, you'll you'll hear you'll hear some reaction from us. So, uh, until then, uh, take care, enjoy your week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Peace out. <laughs>